Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Today we're going to talk about nuclear waste and where it goes from underground into space into the Simpsons house. We're going to talk about how to dispose of nuclear waste safely so we don't end up with Godzilla or Death Claws. Uh, how you doing, Nick? I am doing great, and I'm assuming you are as well. So I think uh, nuclear waste is an important topic that we should talk about because it's a problem that's currently sitting all around the U.S., and there's no real solution, or there's solutions, but no one wants to implement them for various reasons, and we'll figure that out today. Yeah, you want to talk about sitting. It's going to be, uh, we don't do anything. It's going to be sitting there for quite a long time. For those who don't know, we're going to be talking about radioactive waste, and radioactive waste is a byproduct from a range of different things, including industry and nuclear power plants but uh the stuff does not decay fast in fact i'm gonna throw a little fun fact at you the half-life of uranium 235 is 700 million years so if we don't get rid of that it's just gonna sit there and sit there and sit there yeah so obviously one of the biggest things people talk about is uh there's kind of two trains of thought people either want to bury it and some people want to throw it into space. Now, I think uh, a quote from Armageddon, they'll call back to a previous episode of, you know, we're sitting on 4 million pounds of fuel, one nuclear weapon, and a thing that has 2,700 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? <laughs> Is the reason we don't really want to send it into space, even though it's a very talked about thing, because, well, we don't have to deal with it on Earth. But until we get space travel nailed down, the thought of, all that nuclear waste exploding into the atmosphere is uh, pretty harmful. And people don't like nuclear waste being driven by their house. I doubt they want it flown over it. So one of the things I found is most people think the best idea is to bury it way deep down in the earth. What do you think, Mike? Well, I was very interesting when I was doing some research on that of the Yukon Mountain. That's uh, 100 miles outside of uh, Las Vegas. And it, the government of the United States is talking about making it pretty much a sacrificial mountain where people literally just are going to store their nuclear waste for millions upon millions of years. Now, we all need to not have it as spread out as it is because right now in the United States, it's over dozens of different states. And uh, I actually got a little fact for you. Commercial fuel rods are stored in 76 reactors or storage sites. And 34 different states in the United States. I don't like that. I don't like having radioactivity kind of just everywhere. I much I I'll I'll settle for having a sacrificial mountain or burying it underground, but it's not my first choice. My first choice would definitely be to use it, which I hopefully will be talking about a bit later in the podcast. But what's your feeling on it, Nick? Of uh, whether I want to live live by it or not. Um, personally, no. I'd rather not live by it, but. I think it's... You don't want to turn into the Hulk? No. I think it's one of those things, though, that uh, you know we do have to figure out a place for it to go, and there's a lot of discussion because, well, no one wants to be that place. You know, you have Yucca Mountain, which has been discussed back before our time, was supposed to be 
the repository, but Nevada at the time hadn't been using nuclear power and they felt like they were being bullied into storing all this power that all this radiation that they didn't even create and all the other states just decided it and it's kind of a huge issue because we don't really know what to do with it and it's just sitting around like Mike mentioned and sooner or later we either got to stop or figure out what to do with it because we're going to eventually have to store it somewhere we can't keep it in a temporary storage forever I think I'd rather have it way deep underground where all that rock is going to protect everything from the radiation and there's talk of having it so deep down it's beneath any aquifers so even if it does leak it's not leaking up into any drinking water well that's an interesting idea because I, I didn't think about the drinking water yeah burying underground to me isn't the best solution but it's definitely the most feasible solution uh i know this problem isn't just for the united states it's all across the world and lots of different solutions are being tried but nothing's really coming through except for well burying it and hell i don't blame nevada for not wanting a mountain full of used radioactive material i mean i don't think anyone wants that in their backyard but for those who don't know because i didn't know this until researching this that currently nuclear waste is kept in a pool after this is all after it's been used usually at power plants so this is the byproduct so this is they're usually current uh kept in a pool for five to eight years water as we mentioned in our space podcast you should go check that out is great at shielding the radioactive material. And they're kept in the pool until the radioactive material decays to a level where it can be cooled without water. Then they are stored in thing called casks, which are, I guess I would describe the outside of them as giant silos. And they sit there, outside, above ground. And, well, in their defense, they've never had anyone die yet. I think they've had a perfect health record, but something about having nuclear waste above ground and a thing that sort of looks like a silo just seems like a bad idea to me yeah and that's the thing is these are supposed to be temporary solutions um an interesting fact you know we talked about not wanting to live with it there's a study done in 1998 that said more than one in three americans live within 50 miles of a nuclear power plant which means more than one in three americans live within 50 miles of where all that uh spent fuel is stored so like we uh went fishing somewhere in illinois and the fishing guide took us to a place where they you know they use the lake water to cool everything it didn't touch the radiation it's just cooling and they bring it back out but closer to the power plant you went the bigger the fish got that's what he said (laughs) that's probably due to you know warm water the fish can they don't need to spend as much energy staying warm obviously but I don't think is there's no actual radiation in the water. Just a disclaimer. No, here here in the United States, our our crackdown on nuclear safety is uh is quite strong. And uh, speaking of growing up near nuclear plants, Nick, me and you, we both grew up in Chicago, and there's a uh, there's quite a few nuclear facilities around that area. I don't know if you happen to knew that, but it is definitely in people's backyards, and they don't realize it. Yeah, and. Here's the thing with, like, we talked about, like, a central location, say, either Yucca Mountain or the one in uh, California, is people don't like nuclear waste. They don't like it by them, but they don't like it moved by them either. So it's difficult to transport because no one wants to come near their neighborhood or through their ground. So there's really, like, we're at an impasse because no one wants to act in whatever way. Part of the problem stems from 
when nuclear power is getting going, the government said that they would handle all the waste. And so all the nuclear power companies paid the government a certain amount of money in exchange for taking care of the waste. But the government isn't able to figure that out. So they had to pay they had to pay the nuclear power companies because they defaulted on their agreement. Now, it's not only costing us by just having it sitting out being a hazard potentially, but every taxpayer, even if you don't live within 50 miles of these power plants, has to pay, and your taxes is going to pay those companies. So this problem is just sitting there, sitting there, and getting worse and worse and more expensive as time goes on. Not even more expensive, but more dangerous. I mean, there's a reason why it's called hot material for a reason. It's because it's giving off gamma radiation. It's 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 a tool not to be played with. Definitely to be handled carefully. But uh, besides going underground, I did come across some other methods, which I think to be a little bit more promising. Now, to bring back earlier what you said about launching into space versus buried underground, maybe there's a middle ground. I want to bring up a thing called vitrified glass. And I don't know if you came across this, Nick, but uh, they're adding nuclear waste into glass. I think it's, oh God, was it boron... Oh, I can't think of the common glass, but they're adding it to glass, and the glass, the vert, the vitrified glass, becomes resistant to heat and radiation. Yeah, I did come across this, and that's because, I mean, think about archaeological finds. It's usually glass and pottery, so I as well read that they're trying to turn that material into something like that, where it's going to stay intact for long, long periods of time. Well, to me, it sounds like if we could make, like, say... Uh, aluminum oxide makes clear, strong glass. We could add like a layer of the vitrified glass in between on space stations. We might be able to help protect, protect the astronauts using nuclear waste to protect them from radiation from space. It seems like use radiation to fight radiation almost. Yeah, I mean, any alternative would be good. I also saw that some people are going to try and turn the spent nuclear pellets into another type of fuel for a a different type of uh, fuel consumption by breaking them down into separate components but I feel like that's mostly just talk and we haven't really seen too much of it actually played out and applied was that the one with a with liquid sodium yeah okay I, I would be very interested to talk about that because to me that was very inter- uh, very interesting because I saw couple different companies. The main ones that stood out to me were Transatomic and uh, Bill Gates' own TerraPower, which from what I saw for TerraPower was going to go into a small-scale operation. I think they did a scaled uh, one, and it was promising enough where they could try to build a plant over in China. Deal flailed through, and now they're trying to make that deal in the United States, but it still hasn't come through. To me, it's very promising to use multi, multi, molten sodium instead of water because it'll lower the temperatures and lower the pressures so we wouldn't have to use enriched uranium and to me the enriching process is very dangerous so anytime we can lower the pressure and low lower the heat and not have to make a radioactive material more radioactive is very promising to me yeah i mean you know the safer it goes and that's the thing with you know any technologies the more we use it the better we understand the tool and how to do it safer. So we're kind of in 
still in the beginning phases of nuclear technology, I think. And that's kind of what everyone planned on when they started nuclear technology. They figured we'd come up with a solution. And that's kind of our plan now is to wait until someone comes up with a solution. Yeah. Um, sticking on to with the uh, using molten sodium, to me, because I, I did a lot of my studying at university for thermodynamics and power plants. So this was kind of straight up my alley because so most so for coal natural gas and nuclear they all pretty much use the same methods to produce electricity they heat water into steam the steam turns a turbine turbine turns magnet which turns in wires which then produces electricity uh nuclear tends to be a little bit more efficient and greener out of all of them but enriching the uranium to me is a sketchy process considering well i'm not a nuclear engineer so but most uranium and platinum that people find out of the ground and you can buy machines i'm pretty sure on amazon to go search around in the desert to find uranium and platinum but most of that raw material is too radioactive weak to be used in a plant or facility so they have to enrich it usually by sending more uh i'm not sure if it's electrons or neutrons at it to make it more radioactive and then put in the the facility the facility heat the water and then the cycle continues so not having to do that sounds like energy being saved and having pe- the the used pellets be used seems like there's going to be more abundance of materials to be used for nuclear power yeah and one of the things i ran across is even though everyone wants to get rid of it they still want to keep the spent pellets close at hand because everyone feels like we're on the verge of being able to recycle them and use them for something else oh most definitely so throwing them yeah so throwing them down a deep dark hole with no way to get them back people aren't ready to let them go just yet but they also don't know what to do with them in the meantime well i know for some depleted uranium and platinum we use them as military materials so since they're so dense for their size i know like like anti-craft rounds and maybe on navy ships like uh pretty much like 40 millimeter rounds and bigger they have some depleted uranium them at least some rounds do and it just devastates whatever they hit so i would like to see them not used in a military aspect like don't get me wrong i love explosions and fire i am me and nick both absolutely love fire but all that nuclear waste can't be used for military industrial complex so might as well find a new source for it yeah and i think uh breaking it down to be using it for power again like we talked about might be one of the best solutions to figure out how to refine that better but we're still going to have waste and even if we break it down further and use more of that pellet we still have to figure out what to do with that however much percentage is left which is the issue see i slightly disagree there i think we could use the pellets and what's ever left of the pellets we could use it to make the vitrified glass the military rounds the uh as we get later into the podcast the thermal batteries or mix it with synthetic rock or do a process called pyro processing do other sources with the waste that's been reduced by recycling the waste yeah i mean i hope so i just i feel like that there's the demand for that isn't going to surpass the supply that we're going to have. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's going to take off. It just doesn't seem like... It seems like we're kind of just trying to force these extra plate, extra 
compounds into roles just to get rid of them more so than that there's a demand for those compounds to begin with yeah i agree with that um just not blaming nuclear power because there are nuclear waste that comes from a pretty large range of industries there's three main types of nuclear waste there's low level which is generated from places like uh like uh injury uh industries and forges that they don't usually last too long they last i I think like 50 years if i'm not mistaken and that's that low level that's 90 percent of nuclear waste and you know it's 90 percent of nuclear waste it only has one percent of the total percentage of radioactivity of nuclear waste yeah that's that's weird to think about how something that mount could do so little like least radioactive wise like how many how how hot it actually is yeah and so for what that is for most low-level waste it's just lightly contaminated items such as clothing or tools stuff like that that was exposed to it that doesn't actually contain the radioactivity or it contains a percentage of radioactivity by how close it was but not the actual Um, metals and stuff like that in it and then intermediate level waste which accounts for seven percent of the total volume of nuclear waste that contains four percent of radioactivity from nuclear waste and that's stuff like the metals and the filters Um, and then the high level nuclear waste which just accounts for three percent of volume of waste but accounts for 95% of radioactivity of waste. And that's those spent fuel pellets that we're talking about. Just to say where they all kind of come from, uh, intermediate level usually comes from chemical sludges or metal clanding, and high level usually comes from reactors and bombs pretty much. So it's it's everywhere. I mean, I'm willing to bet most of you have a radioactive material in your home because I would wager that most people eat bananas. and ban- Bananas are radioactive technically and then some people used to use i think this is back in the 60s and 70s used to use radioactivity to glow glasses so they would glow green under uv light i believe it was a kind of a fad thing and you could still collect those glasses and it'd be you'd be surprised on what's in your grandma's house or what's on your kitchen counter might be radioactive or at least a small amount yeah i mean is that uh the radon girls from is during World War II, wasn't it, that uh, they had that lipstick that was glow-in-the-dark because of radioactivity, and the girls would put it on? Yep. I'm happy you brought that up. Radioa- uh, radioactive material, not just nuclear waste, has fascinated us ever since we've invented it, and we've always thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and it's unfortunately leaving a lot of crumbs that we don't know what to do with. And going back a little bit to possible solutions is one I'm I think might be the best solution is batteries. You can use nuclear waste as a quote-unquote small battery. You can make a battery big enough to power the power the International Space Station with it, which has some strong benefits. You can not only you know use the battery as electricity, but also produces heat. So your heating ability will increase, so you don't have to use as much heating. And space is cold. Never been there. But from what I read, space is very cold. Yeah, that's that's crazy to think about, though. I mean, that's it seems like it's a perfect fit, and you're already ha- protect you're already protecting yourself against radiation in space. So why not at least get some heat out of that radiation? Oh, most definitely. For those interested in the the batteries, they are called radioisotopic thermoelectric generators, or RTGs. 
I wish I could speak better, but I uh, I'm good at math. That's that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just can't speak, and I'm bad at math, so I don't know where that leaves me. Eh, but you can talk to trees. Yeah. Well, trees don't talk. Uh, contrary to whatever the fuck that guy's book was, it's an idiot. Anyway, you 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 you're just the Lorax. The Lorax, a book about trees <laughs> written on paper. <laughs> You'll you'll be the Lorax and I'll be Mr. Rogers. That'll it'll, it'll work out. I, I met Mr. Rogers like not Mr. Rogers neighborhood, but like Lost in Space, kind of Mr. Rogers. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I grew up Lost in Space and Stargate and Star Wars and all such and such. But bring it back a little bit. Uh, I want to go to an old school kind of process that both the U.S. and Russians attempted, but. I've kind of seen to back away because how dangerous it is. Now, uh, all these ideas that we're throwing out aren't just United States-based. Like, the whole world is trying to figure out this problem. This is a worldwide problem. Like, I believe France, 70% of all their energy comes from nuclear facilities, so they're kind of a high producer. China is building a lot of nuclear facilities. The entire world is now building nuclear facilities, which, Nick, I hope we could talk to you a little bit about who is in charge of nuclear waste. Uh... But going back to an old school process, a thing called pyroprocessing, which extracts from used fuel a mix of elements instead of just platinum or uranium. And through a process similar to like electroplating, like you have a electro rod, a catalyst, uh, an, I mean, sorry, not a catalyst, an anode, a, ca- a cathode, uh, using electroplating process pretty much to break down the nuclear waste to something that's non-dangerous. But apparently... The Russia and the United States were just having a lot of problems with that. It was just extremely dangerous, and they just kind of backed away from that. But it's starting to make a comeback because, as Nick said, no one really wants to have nuclear waste go by, fly over, or be right next to their house. So perhaps the solution is an old-school solution. Bring back an old-school process with some new tools. Yeah, and, you know, it's... Look into the past, you get your answers. It's never hurt anyone. Yeah, science, uh, nature gives you your answer, and history tells you how to use it. But it, it is interesting going back to the mountain being right next to your house and stuff like that. I know in Australia, and I believe the United States, they're trying to do synthetic rocks. So trying to bind the nuclear waste with other material to make it less radioactive. Because a big problem is... It's going to last a long time unless we use a different process because, like I said, the half-life is like 700 million years. It is a very long time, and it'll be around for like ever. But if people are trying to combine it into synthetic rocks, like uh, they're trying to bind it now, excuse me, uh, with, I'm not, like I said, the best with pronouncing scientific words, but proviscite, holidate, and zecolite, which would help reduce the amount of radioactivity, which... If we're going to store it in a mountain, maybe bind it with a synthetic rock or material to make it less radioactive, just so it's a little little safer. Because I keep thinking about those casts, how they're stored now. Like, what would happen if a lightning hit? What happened if a tornado went through? It, I, I can't imagine the amount of radioactive dust that would be scattered everywhere if a tornado hit one of those. Yeah, and like we talked about with burying it, the way that these guys looked at it is... You don't know what the world is going to look like 100,000 years from now. There probably won't be United States anymore. But that area beneath the ground is going to 
you know, three miles deep is going to look about the same as it did when you buried it. And so that's why people are looking to go underground because you don't have that change. But above ground, you have change from nature, like Mike mentioned, tornadoes. You have the natural erosion processes. And you just have, you don't know what humans are going to do with it. One of the things that I thought was crazy is they were talking about, you know, when they bury things underground or nuclear waste underground, how to market. Because they were thinking that by the time people came over here, like the people might not be able to read the languages that we have to say that danger or whatnot. So what do they put that conveys danger across every single culture or do they just not market at all so that people don't think there's anything there? I'm so, I was just about to bring that up. I'm so happy you brought that up. That hurts my brain on how do you mark something that can be universally understand forever? And for those thinking, well, why don't we just write danger in English? The English language that we're speaking right now didn't exist 200 years ago. Like 200 years ago, we were speaking more like Shakespeare's books. And even before that, like we would have to break down. It wasn't for the Red Stone. We would not have been able to read the hieroglyphs on the Egyptians' pyramids and, and in, in ancient Egypt. So it makes you think languages are always adapting and always changing. And what might seem so simple now will be lost throughout history. And I... I love this puzzle. I have no idea how I would do it. The skull and crossbones keeps coming to my mind, but if I can't see all cultures completely understanding that or that being a thousand years from now, be understanding it. But I didn't, I didn't come across the point of having it not marked. That is very interesting, Nick. I, I did not think about that or come across that, and I think that might be the best idea. What's your opinion on it? For sure. That's what I think is the best because think about like playing any video game. You come across... Like you're playing whatever, you come across planes of nothing, and then all of a sudden there's all these spires and weird shit. What are you going to do? You're going to look around. If you're an alien archaeologist looking around Earth, and there's, you're just in the in Finland, and it's cold as shit, there's nothing going on, and then all of a sudden there's all these strange spires and markings, what are you going to do? You're going to sit down and start digging, figure out why all this is there, which is exactly what we're trying to not get people to do <laughs> yeah maybe the maybe the best way is just to be a secret just just lie and just say no there's nothing there don't worry about it don't worry about it yeah don't give anyone any reasons to think there's loot boxes there <laughs> be like you're gonna have like a fallout situation all over again uh but going going back to what you say i am i really want to hear you your opinion on storing it because some countries can't store that because they're small countries that don't have the room to store it or have a sacrificial mountain so maybe we would have them pay us so we would store it for them or because as the world goes as the world grows and our power consumptions become much more greedy we need to keep up with it so more nuclear plants are being built which means more nuclear waste which means we still got to put it somewhere so a country smaller has to put it somewhere that might not be able to fit it. So how do you feel about other countries transporting their nuclear waste to other countries to store it? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think for sure we're going to, at some point or another, have to designate some area in the United States that's a, it's a no-go zone, and that's where we keep all of our nuclear waste. And like we talked about, you know, say you bury it underground, 
beneath the, the aquifer so there's no water getting into it that wouldn't be the worst area to coincide with some you know desert or something but maybe there's some invasive species up top or something that you know if you're going to need people to stay away that's maybe the best way to do it especially if you're not getting any radiation up top it's just that out of abundance of caution we're going to stay away from there like if you bury it three miles down and you backfill it with dirt and stuff that radiation is not going to be able to get through however once you start having other countries dump their stuff there you're increasing the amount of volume you have to hide in there now the one of the ways i ran across is um they just drill these long vertical shafts super far down in the earth like i mentioned below the aquifer and then backfill it so that there's no uh there's no radiation coming up now you can drill these shafts super deep down and it's not even new technology you know we have shafts that go deeper than three miles into the earth is what they had said and so it's nothing the technology isn't new but the problem is how much do we want to put on our ground and i think it's a slippery slope because i would love for us to you know if we already designate this area and we have the space have the u.s profit off of people dumping their stuff here and i'd love to have nuclear energy which is a relatively safe form of energy and there's drawbacks and pros and cons to every single form of energy like we're not discussing that at all like we get that but it can supply a large amount of people with power and i think that's something that we need to encourage the growth of power distribution across the entire world but we also don't want to become the world's bitch and have to deal with all their bullshit too because like we mentioned previously the u.s has an excellent safety record for the most part with nuclear power and they have higher standards than most other countries so when you start spreading that out across other countries their standards can slip they can rise above they can fall below it it really depends on the country so i think if we did take other countries nuclear power we'd have to be involved in some way with how they handle their nuclear power from start to finish so that we're not getting some really fucked up pieces of you know pellets or whatever it is and that we're not you know people are going to look at us and say well they did this because the u.s said that they could do that we don't want to get blamed for that it is very scary to think about because some countries which i won't name I kind of feel like they wouldn't operate nuclear facilities to the best, let alone the waste and the byproducts of the nuclear facility. So it makes me very nervous because such a small amount of radioactivity, like a radioactive particle, can do so much damage. And when a country has or, or a corporation has no rules or regulations to handle the waste, I can just see it being dumped and just destroying entire environment because it just lasts there or or worse someone else gets it who definitely shouldn't have nuclear material true true um i'm not too worried about that because to make like nuclear bombs you have to enrich the nuclear i mean you could still make a dirty bomb but dirty bombs aren't that big they're not great for for missiles that i'm not i'm not too worried about that uh, it's in the enriching process for uranium and platinum is kind of difficult to do and to make it to an actual bomb. So I'm not too worried about that, but you, you did make me think of something. I don't know if there's any organism that eats 
radioactive particles. Like I know sunflower seeds are being used in Chernobyl to help clean the soil, pick up the radiation because uh, the sunflowers do that. But I'm not sure if there's any bacteria, insect, virus, or anything that thrives off radioactive material. I'd be very curious to figure out if there's a organism that we could feed radioactive material to just so it be like a trash compactor. It just eats it all away and turns it to mulch. There is, in fact. I am glad you brought that up. You came across one? Oh, I'm excited. I didn't find one. Now, it it is a bacteria, so that's good and bad. It's good because it's relatively easy to manipulate, but it's bad because it's relatively small. The amount of bacteria that would be required to make the amount of nuclear waste safe or to consume all of it would be pretty incredible. Um, but what I came across is that um, they, they use radionuclides in place of oxygen, and so they convert them from a soluble to insoluble forms, making them less mobile. And I th- believe they were discovered in Chernobyl, uh, is kind of what I remember. But So that's one option, and they also talked about using those bacteria in the space station to... Uh, like grow them in the walls to, as a way to block radiation from coming in. Biotech, I love it. I I am curious though. Could we make it so they could survive? So we dig a hole three miles down, we drop off our radioactivity, and we just throw in some petri dishes full of bacteria and just close it off. I'm wondering what else do the petri, what else do this bacteria needs to have to survive? Does it just need radioactive material? Because if it does, let's just dig a hole, put the nuclear waste in there and put the bacteria in there and close it off and they'll kill each other eventually. Yeah, I don't know. Because I know when, for the most part, when they put the nuclear material into the holes, it's encased in some kind of metal, usually, uh, I want to say copper, that lasts a while. I might be wrong on that. Don't quote me. I'm forgetting. It might be copper or brass. No, I think I think you're, I think you're right because you can't use, you can't use steel because... Well, I'll discuss that in a little bit, but I believe I believe you are right. Okay, and so I don't know if the bacteria will be able to get through that. So you might have to dump just the waste in there, or put the bacteria into each container. I'm not sure what else the bacteria needs. You know, like I said, it uses the radioactive material in place of oxygen. Hopefully, it's not photosynthetic. It needs sunlight, or that would put a real damper on that whole situation. <laughs> Do you, uh, do you remember what this bacteria is called? Yeah, hold on. We can look it up, can't we? All right, well, I'll vent for you a little bit while you uh, find that name because I'm super curious, and I want to do more research on that because I, I really like biotech. I, I think that's a long-term thinking into the future. But going back to what I was talking about with the steel and the iron, um, so old decommissioned nuclear plants, they have kind of a problem because even if there's no nuclear material there, there's still nuclear waste because decommissioned plants, they have steel components around or near like the ra- the fuel rods. And the fuel rods then make the steel hot and hot being the term of radioactive. Like they'll turn steel into like iron 55, cobalt 60, which become highly radioactive and emit gamma rays and can have a half-life of up to 50 years. And if you think about all the facilities that 
are being built and they already have been built, that's 50 years of not, after that closes down of you can't use that land. So having maybe a bacteria or some other solution to clean that up or turn those highly radioactive materials usable again or not even usable, just safe to be destroyed is very beneficial, not only as land but as materials. Yeah. Um, so I got the name... It is, uh, it's called Dionysus radiodurans. It's an extremophiliac bacterium, one of the most radiant, radiation-resistant organisms known. It can survive cold, dehydration, vacuum, and acid. So it's the listed as the world's toughest bacterium in the Guinness Book of World Records. So that, yeah, I mean, if it can survive vacuum. Well, goddamn. There you go. We, we should definitely put that name up on our Instagram. Check us out at Backyard Philosophy. Uh, so the other people can check it out because I'm going to be researching that bacteria quite a bit because that is s- super fascinating to me. Uh, water bears, like bacteria, like it's, it's just, it just makes so much sense to me that they're going to be there in the future. But speaking of the future, I want to talk about a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Nick, I don't know about you, but... Unfortunately, I don't keep up who's winning the Nobel Peace Prizes. I, I really should, and I wish they actually would televise that and be very interesting to watch. But I want to talk about... Yeah, but have you heard of the Grammys? Oh, God. Shut shut, <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> we were just talking about, before this podcast started, how we're watching all older movies because the new movies aren't our cup of tea. But going back to the Nobel Peace Prize winner, I want to talk about... I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, but... From what I read about you, I like you. Uh, Gennard Marot. He is currently working, I can't remember if it's in California or France. I think it's France he's currently working with. But he claims to be able to change the lifespan of radioactive waste to cut it down from years and decades down to minutes. And he claims he can do this process by using high-intensity lasers to change the up the nucleus and a process called trans mutilation and i heard high power lasers and i'm just like fire the lasers yes i'll use lasers to make radioactive material less radioactive i am down now there are some downsides can we put them on dolphins i if i was dr evil i would say yes i would definitely say yes but it might have to be a genetically engineered dolphin because these are kind of really big lasers now these lasers i don't like we always say the science will get there uh-huh. <laughs> eventually eventually uh these these lasers are still kind of theoretical would be the most powerful lasers ever made and super expensive to make now france is kind of leading the way because like i said they have like 70 percent of their power coming from nuclear facilities so nuclear waste is kind of a big concern for them but even France is like, that's a, I don't remember the exact numbers were, but France was like, even like, that's a lot of money. I don't know if we really want to spend that much money on super big, super powerful lasers. Yeah. In France, they can't bury their waste because they, they're closer to the coast. They have more of a, a fault line running, whereas other areas that don't have as much geologic activity going on, that's going to be a better place. So they really need to figure a different way to store their waste or have another country store it for them oh yeah yeah uh, this is 
as nuclear power becomes more and more prominent, it's definitely a world collaboration more than a arms race to make the best nuclear facilities, if that makes sense. Yeah, that being said, step up your game, U.S. I don't know why you're letting France beat us. Come on. He's... I, I, I don't know how to explain that either. But maybe I can make I can share you up a little bit. Sticking on the same half-life of radioactive material, there are some, I think it was Berkeley, if I remember correctly when I was reading, that they have an idea on how to change the half-life of nuclear waste. And it's kind of a simple process. Well, simple an idea, I imagine extremely annoying and difficult in execution. And that would be simply introducing other atoms to steal electrons i think it was electrons these electron or neutrons to steal electrons from the radioactive materials to make their half-life pretty much go down decades go from go from 50 years to five days simple enough to me shoot a bunch of atoms and hopefully steal some electrons or neutrons from the radioactive material doing on the other hand i I have no idea where to start on how to do that. Nick, you're a forester. How would you go about breaking down radioactive material by using other atoms? I uh, cannot tell you. The only thing my brain thought of was, wow, this sounds like a really high-tech game of Capture the Flag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Nick, I love you. I, I hate you and love you at the same time. But what, I guess, what bond, what would bond with them to take those electrons away? Well, I imagine the Australians who are using synthetic rock with those materials that I really don't want to pronounce again uh, are binding with them to make them less radioactive. I imagine those molecules shot at the radioactive material. I imagine the radioactivity would probably have to be broken down so it'd be more open and easier to run through instead of like a solid rock, it'd be a powder. Uh, But the same, I imagine the same molecular structure of the synthetic rock would be used to help grab the electrons and neutrons now it makes a big difference if it's electrons or neutrons because if it's neutrons it's gonna need a lot of energy to break that bond up because just a little quick science lesson or not science lesson science reminder for everyone an atom is pretty much made of protons neutrons and uh electrons protons neutrons make the nucleus electrons float around on the outside if it's electrons we just gotta make sure it's in the right valence uh, right right level le- orbit of electrons to grab and snag them. The higher, the farther away at the orbit, the easier it is to grab them. So maybe we could energize them a little bit to make their energy electrons go outward so we can grab them when they're going by there. If they're neutrons, that means they're binded with the protons to make the nucleus, which means we would have to split the nucleus from the protons or just remove a few neutrons to make it the half-life better, which I don't remember off the top of my head how to do. So I'd say now more confidently, they're definitely talking about removing electrons by using other other molecules, or it could be just be elements. But if I had a yeah, I would assume electrons. That's where my brain went automatically, cause, but that's because I'm dumb. So <laughs> no, you you are not dumb, Nick. You are at or near expectations. You are a beautiful person. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong, I'm dumb as rocks half the time too but to me that's very interesting to cut down the half-life so could we cut down the half-life of nuclear waste feed them to the bacteria or cut down the nuclear uh, cut down the half-life to make them less radioactive and then you know reintroduce them to make batteries 
or reintroduce them to make the glass or use other processes that are just safer. The breaking down the half-life to me seems like a very important key to do anything else with a radioactive waste. Yeah, I mean, that would probably be your uh, your first step. I mean, that's once it gets out of the cooling tanks and cools down, then you break it down, disrupt the half-life. And then after that, you could use a combination of other alternatives. You could bury it with the bacteria. You could break it into glass. You could do, you know, it doesn't have to be just one thing. You could do a combination. But once you, if, if they found out a way to safely and regularly break the half-life in half or has turned into a quarter life and the time it would take it to be a half-life i mean that's pretty crazy and it you're bringing that millions of years down into something more feasible that we can deal with this is this might be a little bit off topic and just shooting the shit but does radioactivity material react with bismuth i i I can't recall if it does or not for those bismuth is a well, it's a material that people joke that has a half-life so long that people joke, well, what will happen? You see the first half-life of bismuth or the universe will end. Like bismuth has a ridiculous long uh, half-life. And I was wondering if we could store nuclear waste in bismuth, but I don't know how that would react with each other. Like Nick said, we use a copper or brass or a different material because all these radioactive materials mixed together can create some very unique problems for for us humans in nature i'm kind of confused so you want to pair radioactive material with bismuth that basically doesn't decay well if we're going to store it underground and we're going to have to throw it in a container it seems like that'd be the best container to do it right right a container that won't break down over time won't patina won't rust so if we're going to have to store it in a container, why wouldn't we store it in bismuth? It might not be bismuth. I'm pretty sure it's bismuth. No, it is bismuth because I was looking it up, Googling. You guys didn't think I was that smart. So, um, yeah, bismuth has, like Mike mentioned previously, a half-life estimated to be a quarter, more than a billion times the estimated age of the universe. So you're pretty safe there. My question is, and this is for you because I have absolutely no idea, how common is bismuth? Is it something that you can work with? Is it viable to make containers to bury, I think we have 65,000 tons of nuclear waste right now? Can we build containers for all that out of bismuth? And what's the cost going to be? Dude, you can go to... You, you... You can go to dude. They use bismuth for like stomach relief. You can go to Walmart to get bismuth. See, that's why I asked you. Like, like bismuth. I'm pretty sure is like a super common material, or I, I believe so. I'm. I mean, its atomic number is eighty three. What, what's iron? What's iron's atomic uh, number? Yeah, not gonna get that answer from me. So for those, this is. This is a little off top. It's uh, time number 26. So furlough, this is a little, this is kind of way off topic, but pretty much when the universe expanded, exploded and, and expanded, it made up to pretty much just iron. Iron, I think, was like the highest it could make. And then once it started clumping together to form suns and supernovas and planets, et cetera, et cetera, that's when we started getting everything above iron. So bismuth is above iron, but I'm pretty sure bismuth is pretty abundant uh it's here on earth um yeah i'm not uh not quite sure couldn't tell you but all right going back, getting 
we got a little bit off topic. Let's uh, bring it back in. I want to talk about a different method that we could use for uh, a, for breaking down nuclear waste. Before you enter, we continue on, um, the, of bismuth, the price of bismuth is between $3 and $14 per pound. So, yeah, that's relatively common and inexpensive. I just don't know enough about metalworking to figure out if you can make that into a container. Is bismuth metal? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> well, you have to do something. <laughs> I'm not a ca- I'm not a chemist. All right, so we're we're out of answers. This, what were you talking about, Mike? I'm going back to a little bit of something I do know a little bit about, which is uh, scientists are experimenting with using depleted uranium as a catalyst to convert ethylene to ethanane so that'd be that'd be ethylene with a y to ethylene with a a and to me that sounds like a perfect opportunity to use nuclear waste so those a little little quick what a catalyst is i'm pretty sure pretty much everyone knows what a catalyst is but pretty much a catalyst will take a process and lower the amount of energy needed to do the such process, I guess is the most simplest way to say it. So having radioactive waste be a catalyst for different chemical and uh, chemical reactions sounds like a very promising, because it sounds like a little can go a long way. And it sounds like be able to transform ethylene to ethylene would be a huge stepping stone if we could do that commonly in the world. Yeah, I mean, that would be important as a catalyst. like. That's something I never even thought about, bringing in a catalyst to make the reactions better. I don't know why that seems so obvious. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, we're only just doing research on it. And hopefully, Nick, we'll eventually make a tree that can eat off nuclear waste so that your industry will survive. You have my attention. Okay. Keep me on your attention. I would love to do a science experiment in space using radioactivity waste radioactive waste as a catalyst in a science experiment in space with windows being made out of radioactive waste glass with walls made of the bacteria you previously mentioned i think that would be the most hot experiment (laughs) get it radioactive hot hot oh god i'm such a nerd um oh stop but yeah That'd be pretty sweet. I, 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 to anyone who's making space rockets and like wants to send people to space, I think me and Nick both extremely volunteer ourselves to, to do this. I will be your Huckleberry. <laughs> I'll be Wyatt Earp. You can, you can, I'll, you can be Doc Holliday. I like that. I like that. Oh, and to, yeah, and, but go ahead. And you can put, you put water on the backside of those bacteria. You have to figure out you need, just the thickness of bacteria to keep them at a level because the good thing about space is the radiation level is pretty constant it seems like so you could get a good enough level of bacteria in there to absorb the amount of radiation and then have a backdrop of something that's left and when you have all that extra water from all our space mining we're going to do you just put that as the backdrop to absorb the rest of that radiation i i like that little shout out you guys should definitely go check out mining in space a previous recording that we did is definitely worth a listen but you did make me think of something especially with the bacteria i'm very happy you found the bacteria because i couldn't find anything that might be a good resource to have to clean up a radioactive catastrophe like uh, eventually there will be a plant 
that breaks down again. You had Chernobyl, you had Fukushima, you'll have other plants break. And instead of having it be hundreds of years of just that land being dangerous, maybe we could airdrop in the bacteria or throw in some plants in there to help clean up the nuclear waste. It's a very good, as Nick likes to say, a tool in the toolbox. Yeah, and I think they were looking at doing something similar to that with the bacteria that would consume petroleum products. It didn't put into actual production, but in case of an oil spill, something like that. I Again, I'm a very strong component of biotech, so I would absolutely love to see a response team using bacteria to clean up a radioactive site yeah and that's the nice thing about the bacteria is you know it's relatively simple organism and once its food source is gone it's gone and so it just kind of break down you collect i don't know exactly how that work but it's not like you're releasing a complicated predator or something into the environment that you don't know what it's going to do i mean you could run tests and tests and tests bacteria easy to test so they're so small I mean, it seems like a pretty simple thing to do. And, like, if we could put that in there, like in Fukushima, get that in there, just flood that bay with it that it was leaking all the water into, and just the outside of that bay would be protected. That bacteria consumes all the radiation in the water there while it's still in a somewhat central location. I mean, that's pretty much best-case scenario right there. Oh, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head in there, Nick. But... You also made me think of another component of it. What? Perhaps nuclear waste can be used as a weapon. Not, sorry, let me rephrase that. Nuclear waste cl- cleanup can be used as a weapon. The cleanup could be used as a weapon. Because, as pretty much everyone knows, the United States has a nuclear arsenal. And we have silos and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm wondering if country A wanted to remove a nuclear weapon could they launch that bacteria simply near the where the uranium or platinum is being enriched to destroy it could it be cut, burning the food so the soldiers can't eat kind of scenario it makes me wonder if cleanup cleanup to me just sounds it just seems like it's such a good thing but i'm wondering about the consequences of it being a dual-edged sword which makes me think a little bit on the negative effects of nuclear cleanup, at least the ways we mentioned, not excluding burying it under the ground, because burying it underground is pretty much the most neutral thing you can do. What's your opinion of using bacteria to demolish a enemy or an enemy demolishing our nuclear capabilities? I feel like that's a little bit unrealistic just because of the population of the bacteria that would have to be employed to completely eradicate a nuclear power especially a power that's constantly being produced i don't think that that's i think what you're doing at best is consuming the power or the radiation around the say pellet or weapon or whatever you're trying to get rid of but i feel like you're not gonna i, I don't i think if tech if the bacteria was going to completely erode or eat i guess would be the the proper term completely eat the radiation and radiation source that it would be a bigger problem but i think more of what it does is that it just consumes the radiation i don't think it would have to produce in such a large amount that they would be able to detect what's going on 
before it got to the radiation source just because they had to build up that population that they would somehow have to counteract that but i just can't see bacteria working in such a quick way like that that's fair i like launching a rocket and then all of a sudden it's gone which is why i don't think it's going to be used as like a like in say the u.s was hit by a nuclear weapon i don't think there's a stockpile of bacteria ready to just let loose and just absorb all that radiation i think they'd have to you could release enough that over time they could get rid of the radiation but they'd have to build up a large population or we just have to constantly feed a giant population of radiation hungry bacteria so that we could deploy whenever but i feel like that's then you're you know trucking a bunch of bacteria straight into wherever you want to do that which might be make sense in the United States, but it's not something that's going to happen in a foreign country as a weapon. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think I was just, I mean, I was just throwing out a crazy, stupid idea, and I think you're right. Maybe maybe nuclear waste cleanup is not a dual-edged sword. Maybe it's just a simple tool that everyone kind of needs. As, as we mentioned, and I kind of want to talk about a little bit more, the world is increasing their na- nuclear capabilities. It, the numbers rise every year. And not having a regulation for the entire world, or at least having an organization to check in. Like, I know there are currently a third-party world organization that goes in and checks nuclear facilities. But I don't know if that if they... But we've also all seen... Um, shoot, what's the puppet? Team America, <laughs> where they go and check for nuclear weapons in North Korea, and we know how that works out. True, true, and I'm not sure if the nuclear codes are for running nuclear plants. What about the nuclear waste? That might be something separate, uh, extended to. It is is something to think about. Or imagine, uh, imagine a country that is a developing country that, hey, nuclear energy could help bring our country to a new generation, a new era. But they go, well, we kind of have to do it dirty. So in order to do it dirty, we're just going to make sure people who come and check it, we just don't allow them to. We just kind of shut our borders. And that's very dangerous to think about because nuclear waste doesn't just affect the close surrounding areas. It is extremely impactful. So I'm wondering, what would your process... Say you had a magic wand, you were king of the world. What would your be... Wow, that was a weird sentence. What would your solution slash method be to help prevent nuclear waste being unethically distributed or uh, stored? Um, I mean, I think nuclear power is a pretty good source of power. You can generate a lot of power with little land use. Like we talked about, waste is the big issue. I think it's important to take into consideration that nuclear power is one of the only powers that has to take into account their waste and pay for it in full. Whereas like coal produced power plants or steam, like uh, solar power plants, not as much, but they take up more land. But nuclear power has to pay for the output. Whereas if you're burning coal, you don't have to pay to put that coal in the environment. It just is there. So I think nuclear power is a great tool. Like any tool, it's not the one save-all, be-all tool. It's just a tool in the tool shed. I think if I had to say of what countries could do it or couldn't do it, it'd be you know 
probably first world countries. I mean, if you have an economy that is similar to the United States where you're willing to pay more for a good superior product that's sustainably produced and you have the income and the agreements to take care of that. I mean, you know, if some, let's just say like Pakistan or something said, yeah, we're going to we're going to take care of this nuclear waste, the same process we, the United States does. I I don't know if I believe them, um, but, you know, you have a developed country where they're already using nuclear power, you know, or you have a country that is developed and has, doesn't have nuclear power, but they have the infrastructure to support safe waste disposal. But, you know, it's, uh, who am I? Just like... Just letting you know, Pakistan has four nuclear. Oh, centers. I know they do, but I—that's a whole separate thing that we're. I'm, you're gonna look me in the eyes and tell me that they're disposing their way safely. Not that we are either, but I want to be a glass half full, but I also want to be a realist. I'm gonna say I want. I'm gonna willing to say at least every country that has nuclear power plants. I don't think any country's perfect. I imagine even us here in the United States are. There's got to be some misstep, someone being lazy on the paperwork. But I want to play a little bit devil advocate of what you were saying uh, with only first world countries. If you're a... Well, okay, I want to preface this with, yes, I start out with first world countries, but you don't have to have the facility in the like a developing country. But if you have it near it where the power goes to it, but it's in a safe place where it's taken care of and you know it's taken care of, then you can still have the benefits of nuclear power without having the nuclear power in hands that you don't that you don't trust but they also don't want to police the world okay well my devil advocate would be if i'm a country trying to become a second world country so i i was their world country we're trying to get we're trying to be in the upkeep we're trying to get more businesses we're starting to get more stability maybe try to get a nuclear plant to help us help power be more readily available for the people of said country how do you feel about that? Well, I think they'd have to have some kind of plan. Like, I'm, okay, so there's a company, I want to say it's called Deep Isolation, and they're one of the people who advocate for the, the drilling, the holes where you just put the material into it, and it's deep, and it's a relatively cost-effective way to store your nuclear material. If you have a place to store it, then yeah, then you should be able to do that. But you also have to be developed enough to where there's not like a common you're not being overthrown every second uh, year by some warlord like there needs to be some stability when it comes to nuclear power that that's what i think and not you know i'm an american so we have the benefit of living in the greatest country on the planet i don't know if it's necessarily fair for us to say who should do what but nuclear power is one of those things that has the chance to affect the entire world and this is one of the very rare cases like this and maybe two other things where I'd say some kind of global ruler ruling system about nuclear power wouldn't be the worst idea ever. I agree with the stability. I think stability is probably the most important part for having nuclear power. But for the nuclear waste, maybe it's not storing, like you said, France can't really store it. Maybe not having the ability to store it is not the right checklist to have for if you should or should not have nuclear waste like you said we could become a powerhouse and make it a business of collecting our people's nuclear waste and turning it into something else or maybe a country has to show that they're capable of turning the nuclear waste into 
having a safe response to their nuclear waste. I'd be okay with that, but I, I completely agree with the stability. Like, you should not have, you should not have had a new leader every 20 years that was not from a democratic process or some type of process, if that makes sense. Not, not a war-driven country. Yeah, and, you know, when as more nuclear waste gets out there, say the U.S. was the one to step up and say, hey, we'll store your waste for money because there we go. There's, you know, if we're going to designate an area where no one goes out in the middle of the desert and we're willing to pay for it, even like Nevada right now, they don't want any nuclear waste. But if they got just a shit ton of money, that might change their mind. And it might change our mind about storing nuclear waste. If we're willing to denote an area of the Nevada desert or California desert or someplace that no one ever goes anyway and to say hey this is where we're going to store nuclear material this is the cost and it might be a crazy cost but I mean for a price I bet we'd be willing to do quite a bit I to me that sounds like a pretty good idea like hey uh China for a thousand for one gram for a thousand dollars a day we will we will store your nuclear waste that's a lot of money I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers, but that's a lot of money. Yeah, those are super ridiculous numbers. Yeah, we got to dream a little bit. But it is interesting. Do you remember the story of the Boy Scout who made a nuclear reactor in his shed? Uh, I did not. You're not to refresh my memory. So I believe this was in the 90s. This kid had to be 14, 15, so, so maybe, maybe older, but he was in high school or middle school, one of the two. And he decided, I want to build a nuclear reactor. His parents thought he was kind of joking, kind of being weird. His, they thought his son, what their son wasn't the brightest. So he's like, yeah, sure, you can go do it in the shed. Well, turns out he actually did it. Not only did he grab a bunch of smoke detectors and then enrich the uh, radioactive material to become usable, he's, he talked with specialists because this is way before cell phones in the... Uh, I believe like the early ages of the internet. So he literally just called a college going, hey, I'm doing this and this and this. And then the college thought that he was just a you know, grad student doing research. So they told him how to do it. It wasn't until later where the cops got called in to break up the shed of this Boy Scout who made a nuclear reactor in his shed. And rather than take everything to evidence, they had you know go through the right protocols and call stuff. Well, his mom, kind of worried, scared, because her son just got arrested for nuclear activity, just throws out the stuff. Just threw out everything. So all the like radioactive waste just ended up in a landfill somewhere. And it's it's scary to think that people at home could make a nuclear reactor. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the youngest person to make a nuclear reactor, I think is like 12 or 11. Smart kid, I think he's out of Utah was able to make a nuclear reactor with the help of his school, of course. That was his goal and ambition. Every single part of that story was super American. <laughs> Every great business starts in the garage. And boy, did that... Oh, man. Start it. Could you... Could you imagine me like, hey, mom, I'm back from, I'm back from football practice. I'm going to go work on the nuclear reactor. Oh, yeah, sure. Thinking, thinking her son's just, you know, drinking beers and listening to ACDC. No, nah, he's uh, he's riching 
radioactive uh, material to be usable to make a reactor. Yeah, but but if he had hooked that up and they never had to pay for power again, his mom would not have thrown that out. <laughs> and his dad wouldn't have cared if he touched a thermostat. Uh, would you be okay if you had a nuclear reactor in your house? Say say it was by uh, was something was something that's risky but yet still kind of safe. Most things. All right, so Say it was the same risk of buying an old house. Would you buy? Would you have a nuclear reactor power your house? A private one, not a power plant. Yeah, I mean, I'd be all for that. I'd rather have my my own power. This is why we're friends. Just just to have a nuclear reactor be your own, I am down for that. Well, isn't? I mean, people keep talking about nuclear reactors getting smaller and smaller. Oh man, what was it? Were they talking about possibly having like a nuclear reactor on every block? I think it depends on whether we get fusion and fission both working. Because I believe fission is what we're using. I could be mistaken. It's one of the. It's either the word switch or not. But if we could use that nuclear waste, like we were talking about from Terra Power or from uh, Transatomic, where they can use smaller facilities. That means there's less resources needed and less checklists to be needed to make a power plant. I would be okay with that if we could use the nuclear waste to have nuclear plants produce power for, say, major cities. And then have smaller areas where you don't have to run as many wires, have it run off nuclear waste. It seems like a like a biological ecosystem, you know? Hawk eats mouse, mouse eats grass, etc., etc. Yep. And if you switch nuclear, you get rid of dams help salmon population people would like that oh yeah i didn't even think about the benefits of using nuclear waste besides just removing the nuclear waste like having more small facilities less coal plants less natural gas needed there's a lot of benefits to using nuclear waste as a fuel yeah and i think we should do a whole podcast on uh, the pros and cons of various energy sources but we're, I don't want to get too deep into it now because I think that'd be a good one for later. But yeah, it could be be a game changer. And we're just at the beginning of the nuclear technology. So I don't know where it's going to go, but we'll find out. Absolutely. And I think we hit quite a bit of points. I'm super excited to study that bacteria because that bacteria is very interesting to me. But for all those listening, nuclear waste might be in your backyard. <laughs> Three miles underneath. You never know. It might be marked, might not be unmarked. And you should definitely check out our other podcasts and please check us out on YouTube and Instagram at Backyard Philosophy. It really does help us out get subscribing, hitting the like button, just listening to our videos wherever you can. It it really does mean a lot. Yeah, this isn't your fir- first first fo- Oh my gosh, this isn't your first podcast, people. You know the drill. Nick, you're you're as bad as me. I flub my words all the time. How much how much bourbon have you been drinking? Uh I'm at about four to five fingers right now oh that's that's a that's a good amount good amount well i think that's a good stopping point i want to say thank you all for listening and nick i want to say thank you for teaching me something i did not know that nuclear waste is such a new science that has new possibilities of things i didn't even think we could do with nuclear waste no i mean that's dude it's yeah every every episode i learned so many new things this is crazy but yeah it's and I think in probably two years we'll we could be able to do a whole new podcast with so many new possibilities. You just it's crazy how fast it seems like this technology is coming. I would say we definitely made it if we get a nuclear physicist or nuclear engineer on on the podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think we uh, for sure would have made that for that's uh, that'd be that'd be insane, which would be down. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say again, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.